I'm Dr. Andre Mitash. Welcome to the Science of Traveling Well. Let's travel someplace new together. Today, my wife Alinda and I are biking from home in Breda to Hirtreidenberg, a small fortified city about 25 kilometers to the north. Breda, where we live, and Hirtreidenberg, a place we visited numerous times, are two of 11 fortified cities in the Netherlands that together make up the Zouderwaterlinie, the Southern Water Defense Line. A water defense line is a uniquely Dutch concept dating back to the end of the 16th century and something you can only see in the Netherlands. Basically, a lot of the Netherlands is at or below sea level. It was never a huge military power and thus was invaded frequently in the late Middle Ages. The water defense line was developed to defend this soggy land against huge invading armies with only small garrisons on the Dutch side. First, any natural elevations in the land, small hills or swells, were developed into forts or fortified towns. This was where military garrisons would be stationed and where many people would live. Then, with a complex system of dikes and floodgates, the low-lying lands in between could be flooded from nearby rivers in a matter of hours. The water would rush in, just deep enough to block foot soldiers and horses, but not deep enough to be crossed by boat. This system of defenses made the Netherlands a bastion of religious freedom during and after the Eighty Years' War, and today gives us a beautiful collection of well-preserved jewel-like fortified cities and forts, with beautifully planted ramparts, charming canals, and cute 17th century row houses. I can't recommend visiting them strongly enough. But biking an hour to one is not just a visit, it's an undertaking. What we are talking about is how the positive feelings of this experience ebb and flow from the time we leave our house to the moment we return, and how that influences our memory and reflection on the experience as a whole. Happiness psychologists have been talking about a theory we call the peak-end rule to explain how we evaluate and remember an experience. This rule alleges that we average the most emotional moment of an experience with the last moment, and that basically explains how good or bad we thought it was. A number of studies have demonstrated this effect. The problem is, in the context of traveling for fun, this rule is totally wrong. And joining us today is the scientist who disproved it. Welcome, Dr. Wim Streibos, formerly our PhD student at the Breda University of Applied Sciences. Now, a lecturer in statistics here. Hi, Andre. How are you? <laughs> great. Thanks. It's great to have you, Wim. Thank you. Uh, now, to start with, tell us about your research. Based on what data do we know the peak-end rule is wrong? So, my research mostly focuses on the role of emotions and experiences, and emotions are generally expressed across three modes of expression. We have uh, phenomenological expressions, which is just uh, well, the experience of having particular emotions in our brains. It's a very subjective thing. Emotions can also be expressed in a behavioral way where we would clearly display behavior, facial expressions, actions that you do, and you can simply observe them. And emotions are also expressed in a physiological way with, through bodily processes. And uh, my research on emotions is mostly based on the phenomenological component, so measuring how people actually experience feeling mm -hmm. emotions, and the physiological component, which I mostly do through skin conductance, um, and electrical activity in the brain. Yeah. And uh, we have been testing this peak and rule using uh, both this phenomenological data, uh, which was first published in a paper on a virtual reality video, where mm -hmm. we asked people to 
uh, retell what they had just experienced. And based on their retelling of the video, we cut their story into segments. And then just per segment asked, hey, how positive or negative did you feel while watching this particular segment of the video? And how calm or aroused did you feel while watching this particular segment? And by having that for each segment of the video, uh, because a video is a very temporarily structured experience, we know what is happening at which second of the movie, you can easily reconstruct uh, kind of a block line profile mm. based on the questionnaire data, which gives you an insight in uh, not only at which moments people felt a particular em uh, emotional state, but also for how long that state lasted. Right. Um, you can also do that with uh, skin conductance, uh, but skin conductance is already a temporal measure. It's being measured uh, four times per second, mm -hmm. and uh, therefore you don't need to reconstruct it using this information uh, about emotion uh, data per scene, uh, but it already gives you a temporal signal, and you just cut it into pieces based on the, the segmentations that either the, the director of the movie has decided upon or even the segments which participants themselves indicate that they had experienced. Right. And then you have a temporal uh, profile of emotions uh, um, either expressed uh, physiologically or uh, phenomenologically, and you can do all kinds of statistics with that and relate that to how people remember their experiences. Mm -hmm. And then uh, this uh, peak and end theory says, uh, well, people only make use of the emotionally most intense moment of that temporal emotional profile, and the emotions that are felt at the end of the experience. All yeah. other moments do not count in the overall aggregation mechanism. Um, and, uh, well, uh, the the studies that uh, found this peak in end rule uh, have been replicated lots and lots of times, but only using the same peak and end measures. They have never looked at other measures, such as the average emotion over time or the in total increase or the, the slope over time or even the variation during an entire episode. Uh, so actually it was only reinforcing the peak and end theory and never comparing it against other measures. Right. But when we did this in, uh, in uh, our studies, we found that actually the peak and end rule is not the strongest predictor for how people remember their experiences, but that the average emotion over time is actually a stronger predictor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so... Are there some situations where the peak end rule actually holds up and then others where it doesn't? Uh, yes. Um, uh, the, the peak and end theory stems from studies with very uh, simple, uh, emotionally homogenic experiences. Um, so people had to hold their hand in a bucket of ice water and report on their pain. Uh, people had to hold their finger on a warmth uh, sensor uh, and uh, that for one or two minutes. Um, not so simple, but people had to undergo a colonoscopy, uh, mm -hmm. which is, well, it's, it's not simple in the sense of what to do in order to get a colonoscopy, but uh, the emotion that you feel is just pain uh, yeah. or discomfort. Uh, the emotional profile is not very complex. And for those emotionally very homogenic experiences, the peak and end rule seems to work quite well in predicting how people will remember that experience. Right. But the more emotionally complex an experience gets, and we, we call that emotional heterogeneity, um, the more complex the emotional profile, and that can be in terms of uh, positive and negative emotional valence, so are people feeling uh, pleasant or unpleasant, uh, but also in terms of calmness or arousalness, uh, um, the more variation there is between the two uh, extremes of the scale, the more 
heterogeneous that experience becomes. Mm -hmm. And uh, for more heterogeneous and emotionally complex experiences, the peak and end rule is kind of beaten by, well, the the average rule, so to say. Okay, yeah. Um, So we usually think of vacations and even shorter travel experiences that we undertake in our free time, probably in a very complex way, right? Because there are almost always boring moments in even the best experience. Exactly. A sort of downtime, let's say, and uh, moments that are more exciting and moments that you've been looking forward to more or less. So that's already from the perspective of the studies that the peak end rule came from, that's already a lot of complexity. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and I mean, just look at uh, the travel alone. If you look at a flight, people get excited during uh, uh, when the flight is going up in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's some turbulence, negative emotions. Uh, maybe the, the food is coming, positive emotions again. Then you taste what the food actually tastes like, <laughs> negative emotions. Uh, well, then the plane goes down, uh, also happiness. So even just the temporal profile of emotions over the flight alone is already quite complex compared to just experiencing pain during a colonoscopy or uh, holding your finger in a bucket of ice water. Yeah. So with this uh, uh, knowledge in mind, let's reflect on my experience on the bike and in here Trident Bear. Uh, so I, I expected it to actually be quite terrible at the beginning. Um, I know and I love here Trident Bear, but um, when we started biking, uh, I knew that it would be really, really cold, about two degrees, and that we would be biking straight into a nasty cold headwind. For, for me, that would be a moment to decide not to go on a trip. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, that was that was the day we had, so, you know, that's... Uh, we went anyway, and as a result, we dressed pretty warm. And in the end, actually, the ride there was was quite pleasant. It required a, a lot of layers of clothing, but we made it work. So when we arrived in here, Tridenberg, then the sun also came out, and that was kind of an emotional high point. We quickly sat down to lunch, and I would say getting our lovely sandwiches was, was also a high point, maybe even better than the sunshine, <laughs> because they looked so pretty and, and very appetizing. Um, during lunch, we had sort of a wide ranging conversation. At one point we touched on, uh, the rather confronting topic of chores at home. So then, you know, mentally we were back in the mess in our living room and not in here, <laughs> Tridenberg anymore. Um, but it ended with a good laugh and then we biked back. And at some point about halfway in the ride back, my body sort of ran out of fuel and I got, I got really weak and shaky. Uh, and that would have probably been the low point of, of the experience. I mean, when doing a lot of road riding, you know, you quote unquote bonk like this uh, pretty regularly if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so, okay, so I just I just kind of pushed through that. And then when we arrived home, we had the sense that it was it was a very pleasant, civilized, moderately positive, um, uh, but not like, super exciting the whole time, uh, day out. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what would you say besides, well, it's too cold for you and you wouldn't go, but (laughs) what, what would you say to this recollection? Do you find it driven by peaks and ends averages or another way of remembering experiences? Um, I think it uh, taps mostly into the the latter, um, in which you recollect an experience, uh, and you do that in, kind of uh, first this happened and then this happened mm-hmm. and then this happened. 
So in your retelling, you already cut your total experience of a trip to Heertreideberg into shorter, well, so-called experiential episodes. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say per experiential episode, you can have both peaks, troughs, um, uh, that's described the episode. For example, you say uh, at one point uh, the sun came out. Well, the experiential episode is the bike ride to Heertreideberg. Well, yep. uh, during some of it, it was cold, then the sun came out. So in that shorter experiential episode or actually sub episode alone mm -hmm. you already see that there are positive emotions negative emotions that you can capture maybe using peaks troughs an average of the entire uh, experiential episode but also for the episode that happened afterwards which was uh, you taking out your sandwiches seeing how how pretty they looked and appetizing they looked i can imagine that 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 happens as soon as you uh, unwrap them and you see how how they look emotion high emotional high and then it goes down to more of like a baseline level where you enjoy your sandwich. Uh, maybe it might also be positive, but not as positive as, as the first moment that you right. you saw them uh, glistening in the sun, so to say. <laughs> um, so also there you see that even within one experiential sub-episode of the larger episode of the trip to Heertreideberg, you can have peaks, troughs, averages, etc. Um, and uh, what we found in uh, a follow-up study on that peak and end theory is that whereas for larger complex experiences that uh, peak and end rule does not seem to work, mm -hmm. if you look at the experiential sub-episodes that happen within that larger experiential episode, peaks suddenly do seem to work again, okay. uh, which you can also kind of recollect here, right? Because you, you describe uh, your bike ride by the moment the sun came out. You describe yep. your having your lunch by the moment that you saw them uh, during the unwrapping and that they looked very appetizing. So I would say that in the smaller episodes, uh, peaks do play a role. Um, but for the the larger experiential episode, um, you kind of make an average, which might or might not be weighted uh, for the mm -hmm. emotional episodes that are yeah. a bit more intense. But you make an average of all the individual peaks for the individual sub-experiential episode. Okay, so it's really like as soon as there starts to be some complexity in the experience, it becomes more like a collection of peaks. Yeah, that, that's what I would say, yeah, suggest, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so knowing what we know, I'm curious about sort of what your advice is to our audience. How should we approach our travels if we want to enjoy them as much as possible, as well as creating the most enjoyable memories of them as possible? Um, my advice would be to um, not only look at the trip as one experience, but to cut it into pieces and look at the emotional profile of these individual episodes and how to align them best. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that would be one advice. So don't put all the emotional highs in one day and then the emotional lows on another day if you have a multi-day trip. Um, another advice would be to not only start looking for emotional highs, because I think in a study that we did on a uh, musical theater show, and also a result which you found in a museum experience, mm -hmm. is that it's not just about emotional highs, but that you also need to have emotional lows. Yeah. Um, uh, and in this uh, study in the theater show, we actually found that uh, some of the scenes uh, during this musical theater show were negatively correlated with the overall evaluation that people gave to the show, uh, meaning that the more emotional arousal people had during that particular scene, the lower their grade, or vice yep. versa, the yep. less emotional uh, intensity during that scene, the higher the grade. Yeah. So that that would mean that uh, um, more intense emotion is not always better. Yeah. You should also look for uh, moments uh, which are 
relatively emotionless um, so that you, things from before can kind of sink in. Uh, you have time to recharge the emotional battery again. Um, so so um, look at waxing and waning of emotions over your holiday trip and not just waxing alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really cool advice, and indeed that um, uh, that finding also came up in like a village tour that we did. That you know, more emotion was not better, and there were certain um, uh, certain moments of of emotion that that didn't really help. And I also think, you know, if you're encountering emotional stimuli all the time, at some point you kind of stop caring and and you stop being open to it. Um, so, so I appreciate the advice and in something, something like the experience we're talking about today, the bike ride for me, the, the ride there and back is kind of the downtime and it kind of makes some space to anticipate and to reflect on the emotional peak of visiting a cool place like this. My most philosophical moments are the moments when I drive back and home to work <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. in the car. Uh, I get lots of insights because there's just nothing happening. Uh, and uh, yeah, of course, it might be busy on the road, but just turn on the radio, uh, let things ponder in your mind. And, and that, that time is very valuable to me as well. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great. So plan some nothing uh, in conclusion. So but actually, Dutch are quite good at that, right? I think uh, the uh, Dutch are the only one that actually plan for doing nothing. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't I haven't yeah. heard that. Yeah, Nick's doing. Nick's doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You certainly see it on some um, some like lifestyle magazine headlines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Nick's doing issue. Yeah. Um, so as always, we're going to wrap up with some practical ideas. Um, the towns on the Southern Water Defense Line are from east to west, bergen op zoom Steenbergen, Willemstad, Klundert, Breda, Geertruidenberg, Huisden, Sertogenbos, Mege, Ravenstein, and Grave. bergen op zoom Breda, and Sertogenbos are the largest and have a train station. The others are accessible by bus, but of course I suggest biking there. There's a long-distance bike path that connects them, including an especially beautiful rail trail segment, which goes from here to Reidenberg, almost to Husden and to Sertogenbos. Um, and there's also a, uh, a guidebook which you can get that has a long-distance hiking trail that covers the entire southern water defense line. Uh, so cycling or hiking gives you an appreciation for the dikes and the floodgates between the cities, and the opportunities to see numerous beautiful forts in between as well, such as Fort de Rovere, Henricus, Sabina, Isabella, and St. Andrews, to name just a few of the many forts along this waterline. And with that, I'm going to thank Wim so much for joining us today. And till next time, everyone, happy travels. The Science of Traveling Well was initiated partly thanks to an HBO postdoc grant of the Regiorgaan Stichting Innovatie Alliantie of the Dutch government.